Piece by Piece, the musical theatre talk show podcast. Welcome to part two of our discussion of Company. Our guests are Anna Francolini, Adrian Lester, Michael Simpkins and Sophie Thompson. But first, please welcome your host, Joe Bunker. Let's talk more about Company. Let's talk about Act Two um, and the opening of Act Two, the big number, side by side, What Would We Do Without You, which is this joyful kind of dance celebration spectacular uh but it's one of those sometime numbers it's a pastiche where it's working on two levels and on the one on the musically it feels incredibly upbeat celebratory um and there's a kind of there's a darker sort of stream running through it especially when in your production you've got bobby on stage drinking himself silly and doing lines of coke uh, on his uh, coffee table yeah he goes to the fridge and he takes out a beer uh, this is the our show so this is my in my head he takes out a beer and he's he's having a drink with a beer and he puts music on and he's having a party on his own and the side by side were lines of cocaine on a tray yeah so he was taking one every in every beat of you know isn't it warm isn't it lovely side by side he'd cut a line and take it which um I got to admit, it was Jonathan Butterell's idea, whatever happened to him. Um, <laughs> Jonathan Butterell's idea. And he said, I've got this idea. And, he, and I said, what? And he went, and we were having a dance rehearsal on our own. And we we did it and we timed it with the music and worked out how to do it. And then we went to show Sam. And Sam said, okay, what's the, we've got this. And Jonathan, I've got this. Just have a look and see what you think. <laughs> and, I, and we were like winking at each other. So we did this thing with the cocaine with Side by Side. And Sam just fell off his chair. He went, that's brilliant yeah and then the real test because because Stephen Sondheim is like this he he has to see a kind of a run of the show before you go into the the tech and the dress and so we we were doing it and I was so worried and we got to this point where we were going to do side by side and I was so worried what Sondheim was going to think and he was up um, on the gallery and we um we started doing it and I did the first couple of lines and and I and I looked up and I heard this he just went ha and he threw, <laughs> he threw his, um, his notepad on the seat beside him and he just went, ha! and started watching. Um, so Amazing. I thought, oh, okay, so that's going to stay in. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but that's that was the concept behind the show. It was one evening of somebody just on their own yeah. uh, trying to think through Amazing. Things. Well, yeah, it definitely gives a new spin to the line, parallel lines, mm. who, who meet. meet? Yep. I just remember you guys in all the choreography, the dance calls. Side by Side is, of course, the big barnstorming number of company, the one which does really sort out the wheat from the chaff. And it was, you know, it was a big ask for everybody, even the even the, the people who were able. But for Sophie and I, the back markers <laughs> of the company, it, it, it was it, it was like scaling the Eiger. It was it was terrible. And we had this. So Sophie and I had this little group called Remedial Dance. And when all the others went off to the pub at five o'clock, Sophie and I would always spend another half an hour with a dear Jonathan, the choreographer, just going through it. And the, the the big defining moment for Sophie and I, we came into rehearsal about a week from moving into the theatre and Sam was just about to start the day's rehearsal and Sophie and I went up and stopped him and said, before you go any further, Sam, Sophie and I have got to perform the whole dance routine from side by side, just the two of us, for the whole cast sitting around watching. Because if we can do that, we know we're going to be all right when it comes to the real thing. And bless me, we did. The two oh. of us. <laughs> well, well done. Ever done. Hard work yeah. pays off. Oh, it's brilliant. Oh, you spoke a bit, Mike, about the experience of performing that and the, the stamina needed. Uh, one question which I was wondering about is when you're in those ensemble numbers, because sometimes has this thing where he's like, I hate writing numbers where all the characters sing the same thing because that doesn't feel truthful to me. 
But I guess in company that happens quite a lot because the ensemble are kind of projections of Bobby's imagination. They're kind of versions of themselves. They're a chorus. Yeah, yeah. it's like a Greek tragedy where you have a, a character and then the, the chorus. As actors who are performing in those ensemble numbers, what was that like for you, Anna and Mike? Were you and were you conscious of being a character there, or just being a kind of an energy or a kind of an energy? I think more definitely. We all took, I assume, our own characters into it, but it was it, well, it grew more and more manic anyway, and it was basically remembering those steps and and keeping together. Really, I would I would agree. Yeah, yeah. There was something of the character, but basically, you're, you 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 did become a member of a company that were just. A sort of amalgam of Bobby's mind. Really. Mm. There was there was a moment where Jonathan did a brilliant job because he made you do all these movements that were to do with grabbing, like wanting to be fed, grabbing into the into the stomach and just reaching out for Bobby and nothing. He didn't want anything kind or gentle. He wanted it all to be grabbed. And every time I was manipulated by the cast uh, in the middle of that routine, there was a bit of s- sort of touching and stroking, but then there's mainly like a poke and a a push around and talk to me I want to talk to you and somebody else went no 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 talk to me and there's lots of sort of grabbing and it was quite it was quite ugly by the time we got to the end everyone was I mean it was you know following the the, the path of him taking this so much coke but it got quite sort of manic I remember at one point there's a broken record bit in it mm. where what would we do with that what would we do with that what would and it's uh, he, Bobby's part of the routine and it's what would we do and then he steps forward because he's going to take a drink and have a line of coke and the company kept doing this repeated movement like a broken record till he took the line of coke and when he did he went ah and suddenly everyone clicked and moved on to the next bit and I thought Jonathan was just you know it was uh, inspired I thought yeah. yeah it's really good Then there's a scene with April, the air hostess, and that brilliant Barcelona number. But the scene that I particularly wanted to talk about is the scene that follows that with Susan and Peter. Uh, And this is one where you had this little bit of dialogue that wasn't in the original, but where uh, Peter sort of propositions Bobby and says, have you ever had any homosexual relationships? Um, Because sometimes you just can really love a guy and you want to show that. And at this point, Susan and Peter are now living together amicably as a divorced couple. Mm. Why did that go back in? And what was the sort of, how did you work through that moment, Adrian? I think Sam wanted to, um, with all of the elements, you know, allowing the coke to come back in, to, to, to have, uh, for us to have that idea. He wanted it to be as complicated as possible. He wanted it to be as, <laughs> as layered and as, you know, you think you know these people, but you don't. Surprising and, you know, it was for him, it was really was a play set to music. And I, and I think that's how he viewed sometimes work um and so it was it was great because through the scene with Susan and Peter Bobby's Bobby's actually trying to keep up with their relationship mm-hmm. because he can't work out what it is mm. there doesn't seem to be a a relationship um there's one line that uh, uh Joanne has to Susan when she says oh he might be being funny that's all and she says oh look at her with all that help <laughs> <laughs> and it's a cutting sort of, you know, discrimination thing about people in the South and what they're like. And, um, you know, she's so cutesy, but actually it's... And, and, and I remember that Claire played her so light and so Southern and, and very soft voiced. And yet there was something quite 
dark going on in the relationship or maybe not dark but sort of really unconventional and you didn't know what was happening and so when peter turns around and propositions bobby he he's struggling to keep up really yeah and he is for him it's like it's exactly the feeling that amy has when he says will you marry me um while she's broken up with um paul it's just how the hell can you yeah what the how can people be so close but be so at odds yeah and yeah um yeah, that makes sense. Because, I mean, there's always been this thing about, like, well, is the reason Bobby's just commitment-phobic just the fact that he's gay? Um, certainly some of the early critics were like, oh, you know... Uh, and it tended to be the ones that didn't like it and didn't think that... Because they couldn't fathom that somebody could be not a proponent of marriage without being gay. But I just feel like that's kind of maybe a, a bit of a lazy... And, it's, and maybe not a very interesting show. Because, like, if it's about coming out, that's fine. But that's a different musical, right? Was it something that you talked about? It is, it is. And I think that people wanted musicals to be... The, the, some, still to this day, I think, people think of terms of musical theatre, that somehow it's simplistic. That when you do musical theatre, somehow the characters are simple, the storyline's simple. The, you know, it's all, it's all like... Um, it's a watered-down drama so that you can have songs that make you think that the whole thing's okay and doesn't really matter. And sometimes goes completely against all of that. Um, and it's it's very it's it's very complicated. The, the self hate that um, Joanne has at the end with the ladies who lunch, being one of the ladies who lunch, and and that the, the the best line for me, the best exchange for me, is when Larry stands up at the end and he says, "You see, Robert, every now and then, my wife, I think like her last husband, she doesn't believe that anybody can love her, so she tests me. She tests me to see if I will go away." And uh, she doesn't believe the fact that I find her daily fascinating. And then he turns to his wife and he says, I'm going to get my coat and then we're going. OK. And he leaves and she completely ignores him. But you know that that's it. That's the truth. She doesn't feel like she's worth loving. And so he and he and she punishes him for loving her. And he knows that and allows it because he's she's been punishing him all the way through the play. I just thought at the end, I just thought, oh, that's that's love. That's and just she's at her worst there, yeah, yeah. And it's off the back of that that scene with Joanne that Bobby then kind of has this epiphany, I guess, or however you want to call uh, being alive, because uh, because Joanne propositions him. Then that's another, so he just mm. had this interaction with uh, Peter, and now Joanne's saying, "Well, let's do it. Let's let's make it." Um, and yeah, it kind of feels like. That interaction really, like you were saying, that was your catalyst for the whole thing in your in your head. Yeah, yeah, he was in that state when he went back to his because it starts with him coming back. It start in ours. It started with him coming back from me, coming back from the club, going to the bar, bar having a drink, and thinking about the fact that he's thirty five and he's on his own. And so he's thinking about that still. And when it comes full circle, and he gets back to the point that he's at. Um, then you get the. Bobby, 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 and all of that. And he says, okay, stop. What do you get? And he goes from, you get all of these negative things of people who do this to you. And then in the end, the the song changes and he realises that actually he needs someone to scrape, in a way, scrape him against life into living. That's not my line. That's my wife's line from another play that she wrote. But it it is that he realises that he needs someone to do something to him too much so that he can feel... Um, alive, he he can. You only you only define the edges of your character when you when you're faced with something that's um, that's adverse to it. You know, too much love, too much anger, too much whatever. Only then will you find your own the parameters of your own sort of character. And he doesn't know what his is because he's never had that. 
I guess just to, if you like, don't mind me prying. Like, because Mike, you were with, you've been with Julia for a long time, but you for a long time didn't get married. Um, what made you make that step, if you don't mind my asking? Just because you were together for a long time without being married, what do you get? <laughs> oh, well, it's a moot point. I mean, <laughs> I think I think uh, I think probably we, looking back, we probably feel that it was probably you know that we should have got married earlier. Um, I think there is a natural time to do it, and we were very much on the on the end of that. Um, you know, that just says a lot about where we were at the time and our own you know our own personal upbringings as well. But I think uh, I, I think. I think when when you when you decide to get married, it's a time when you feel that it's you know that it's right for you. Now, I suppose the question is, you know, Bobby comes out of of the process of that show suddenly thinking that actually he, this is something he wants to do. Now that that idea of keeping your options open, which actors do all the time, which mm. you know I've certainly did for you know like a, I don't want to get too tied down to anything because there's always another job and always and there comes a moment where you realise that actually if you just invest in that all the time. That's you, that's going to repay you very badly as you get older. Uh, I think show business is particularly bad for that. Incidentally, you know, yeah, uh, it's a it's a very siren profession, and uh, and 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 actors are particularly notorious for 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 putting it before everything else, often to yeah. our detri- often to our detriment. What, what, what about you, Anna? What made you... Uh, you and Toby are married, aren't you? Or, or yes, you, we're yeah. married. Funny enough, we just got married when we did um, the uh, sometime 80th. Um, why we got married? Well, we were together for about five or six years, actually. And I, I, what Michael says, it so resonates. You're, you're always keeping your options open. And it, of, that's not what I was doing. But once you've committed to that, when in my case, once we actually committed to that, it, it felt like the world went into colour for us, actually, and it's a massive weight off your shoulders. Mm. And I don't know what that weight is, but I think because in our profession, we are so just never committing to anything. <laughs> I mean, that's why I'm not a member of the PTA, because, you know, if, I'll say I'll be there for sports day, but if I get a blooming <laughs> audition, I am dropping those kids like hotcakes. So just knowing that that's there is incredible. And I, yeah, and the way you just spoke about Larry, it just ma- makes me think of my husband. So um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I punish him. But yeah. So I guess what so at so the end of the show, where does uh, Bobby end up? Because it's he hasn't got anybody to marry. Is it just that he's open to it now? He's, he's the final birthday party scene. There's no one there in that rendition. Someone, someone I heard describe this as a cubist show. It's like a company's full of scenes that you'll see you see from different angles. Like you know, in a cubist painting when you see all four corners of the table on one side. Um, it feels like this is our kind of cubist. Uh, birthday scene but he's not there um what do we or what do you take from the ending of the show in terms of where bobby's come to and what that journey's been for me for bobby at that point he's ready to accept the fact that that all of these friendships are conditional all of the friendships trap him into being an aspect of himself that he's not truly happy with and um his first step to allowing himself to actually welcome somebody meaningful into his life is to acknowledge that he has to be he has to not be there for his friends at some point to create that that space hmm. um you know you can't you can't fill a cup that's already full of 
toxic relationships with friends. <laughs> you have to empty a little bit of it out and, and see that actually you're not as full as you thought you were and there's room for someone. And I think that, you know, however unactable that is, um, that, that was the thought in my head of just not, not turning up at the end. And I think, I think Sam had us, if I'm right, that everyone left the cake because I wasn't coming and they put the cake down and left. And then I came on and I made a wish and blew the cake out. Nice. And, and I think that was the way he did it. What do you get? Someone to hold you too close Someone to hurt you too deep Someone to sit in your chair To ruin your sleep We're getting divorced, Bobby We haven't told anyone yet Listen, not everybody should be married, I guess To me, a man should be married Someone to need you too much Someone to know you too well Someone to pull you up short To put you through hell Well, you gotta give up to get, you know what I'm saying? And unlike my father, I'm a very happy man Oh, I just heard a door open that's been stuck a long time You just see what you look for, you know Someone you have to let in Someone whose feelings you spare Someone who, like it or not, will want you to share A little, a lot You've so many reasons for not being with someone But Robert, you haven't got one good reason for being alone It's much better living it than looking at it, Robert Someone to crowd you with love Someone to force you to care Someone to make you come through Who'll always be there As frightened as you Of being alive Being alive Being alive Being alive Blow out your candles, Robert And make a wish Somebody hold me too close Somebody hurt me too deep Somebody sit in my chair And ruin my sleep And make me aware of being alive Being alive Somebody need me too much Somebody know me too well Somebody pull me up short And put me through hell And give me support For being alive Make me alive Make me alive Make me, alive. Make me confused 
but alone is alone not alone somebody crowd me with love somebody force me to care somebody make me come through I'll always be there as frightened as you to help us That was Being Alive, brilliantly sung by Adrian Lester and the 1996 London cast of Company. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to remind you that we have another podcast about this show for you to enjoy. The recent West End version of Company was such a revision that it was almost completely different musical. We decided it was worth having a separate episode all about that. And I spent an amazing evening chatting to Rosalie Craig. Please do join us for that. Don't forget, you can also subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And we would love it if you would rate us on Apple Podcasts or even leave us a little review, as long as it's nice. Or just tell your friends. Anyway, it's now time for the quiz. Uh-oh. I hope you're ready for a little light trivia. Um, don't worry, no one's expected to be good. You will need some sort of noise you can use to buzz in. Okay, I'll just shout Bobby. Okay, so Anna Franklin is going to shout Bobby. Simo, what are you going to do? I'm going to ding this lamp. <laughs> okay, great. What about you, Adrian? I'm going to shout Marta. Okay, great. <laughs> I like it. Okay, have I got a quiz for you? Number one, actor Dean Jones played Bobby in the original Broadway run, but Larry Kurt took over one month into the run. Which iconic musical theatre role did Larry Kurt originate in 1957? It's a big one. A big one. No idea. Mike. <laughs> uh, the Tony in West Side Story. It would get you a point. Very good. One point, oh. one point to Mr. Simpkins. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, it's like that. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. <laughs> uh, number two. Uh, one of the first actresses to play Joanne after Elaine Stritch uh, in the original Broadway production was Vivian Blaine. For which iconic role is Vivian Blaine best known? And it's a role she played on stage and in the movie. A musical from 1950. The fact that Vivian Blaine appeared in the Laurel and Hardy film Way Out West is not the answer, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Because that I know. No no bonus point for you. (laughs) No. Any final guesses? Miss, here's the original Miss Adelaide in Guys and Dolls. There you go. That was Viv. Uh, Number three, I can give you some options for this, but you might know the answer. What did Elaine Stritch, the original Joanne, originally think the lyric, a piece of Marla's, referred to in The Ladies Who Lunch? (laughs) She did not realise that Marla was a composer. So did she think that it was... I'll give you all a chance of this one. So did she think it was A, a play, B, a painting, C, a steak, or D, a pastry. I'm going to say steak. <laughs> Ding. Ma- Marta. 
<laughs> what do you think, Adrian? I, I think it's a pastry. Yeah, okay, so we're going for pastry. Any other guesses? I'll go for a play. Uh, and Adrian gets a point. She thought, uh, Marla, there was a bakery apparently around the corner from the theatre called Marla's. <laughs> and so she thought uh, perhaps a piece of Marla's meant like a, a kind of cinnamon bun or something. Um, number four, uh, for which other Sondheim musical did George Firth write the book? Bobby. Anna Franklini. Merrily. Merrily roll along. Because you did that. I'd have had a go if you got that wrong. Uh, number five, in the John Doyle actor-musician production, which instruments did Raoul Esparza play as Bobby? Bobby. Anna. Was it a trombone? It's good, but it's not the one. Marta. Adrian. Violin. No. Oh. <laughs> Simo. Please let it be the maracas. Bassoon. Um, so he played the piano and then he also played the kazoo. So like in that production, everyone played an instrument. So when they got to side by side, everyone did little kind of duets and he had no one to play with. So he just played a kazoo. Can you imagine? But then at the end, he plays the piano. And it's, <laughs> it's worth watching actually that version. It is good. Um, not as good as yours, obviously. Bunch of triple threats. <laughs> um, uh, who sang The Ladies Who Lunch in the recent Sondheim 90th birthday concert, Take Me to the World? Three very famous singers. Was it was it Patti Lapone? It's good, but it's not the one. I mean, she has done it, but in this in this recent one, it was not Patti. Bernadette. It's good, but it's not the one. It was Meryl Streep, uh, Audrey McDonald, and Christine Baranski did it on Zoom, all having a glass of wine. Crikey. Obviously, they couldn't find their first choices, <laughs> so they just, just got. They just found a few people scraping the bottom of the barrel there. Well, do you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> well, they need the work. <laughs> Meryl Streep had, had these empty shelves behind her and I thought she either lives in a very sort of sparse apartment or that's where all her Oscars and Tonys and whatever else went and she's cleared them off. But all you can see these empty shelves behind her. I bet um, it's all the Tonys and Oscars. Yeah, I think she was probably trying to be modest. Um, I did a self-tape the other week and they needed me in full what's it, you know, which is really unusual. So I put the behind me I on my um, table, I put the only award I've ever won, an award that my husband had won, and a little plastic trophy from my daughter, just in case. I wanted them to think I was the The award-winning Anna Francolini. <laughs> You're damn right. You're damn right. You've got to give yourself the best chance. Have you ever read that? There is a blog I read once, which is like, why is Anna Francolini not a household name because she's amazing in everything. I remember that. She wrote it. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> it's what I say three times in the mirror every morning. <laughs> it's been read by tens of people. <laughs> it is absolutely true. Um, number seven. How many Broadway performances of company were there before Broadway closed for the pandemic? I'll take your best guess. Bobby. Anna. Nine. Oh my god, she smashed it. It was, it was exactly nine. Did you know that? Wow. Was that a guess? Wow. No, but I thought, I think I sort of remember that, like, I don't know, Broadway shows shut after nine shows. It's sort of like <laughs> it's a, true. It's sort of a powerful number <laughs> a in my head. Well, very good. She gets a point. Wow. And last question. Um, so Sondheim had never been married, or I think still hasn't been married, uh, when he wrote Company. So he sought a great deal of advice from which one of his married friends? And I'll give you some options. Was it Richard Rogers? Was it Mary Rogers? Oscar Hammerstein? Or Hal Prince? Bobby. Anna. I'm going to say Mary Rogers. Okay, Simo. 
I'm going to say Hal Prince. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Marta. I'm with um, I'm with Simo saying Hal Prince. Anna gets a point. It was Mary Rogers. Wow. And fun fact: Hank and Mary get into town next weekend. Refers to Mary Rogers and her husband Hank. Um, the final thing I thought we would do, just for lols, is because we don't have a Joanne on the panel. What um, I did with uh, Rosalie and Sophie was I asked them to give their best rendition of Joanne's iconic line, does anyone still wear a hat? So uh, for an extra point in the quiz, I'm going to award my favourite rendition of this. Um, If you're all willing to give it a a quick go, sight unseen, ad lib audition. Um, If you all have a go, we'll then play you what Sophie came up with. Um, (laughs) Who's ready to go first? Anna, you'd be a great Joanne. Okay. Does anyone still wear... A hat? <laughs> Isn't that what they all sound like? Very good. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll find out. Simo, you're next. Does anyone still wear a hat? <laughs> yes. I like it. He went down a different path and it worked. Great choice. Right, Adrian. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, <clears throat> Does anyone still wear a hat? <laughs> nice. Uh, nice choice. World weary. Lovely. Got, uh, Sophie's lined up. Does anyone still wear a hat? (laughs) (laughs) I think Sophie's has to be my favourite. That was one take. Oh, typical. Typical Thompson. She's got that low register, which just cracks me up. Something of Lady Bracknell lurking there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The scores on the doors are as follows. In joint second, Michael Simpkins and Adrian Lester both scored one point, but the winner with three points. Anna Francolini. Nice. And there she was just a minute ago saying she'd only ever won one award. <laughs> now she has two. We'll have to see if we can fashion her a trophy out of papier-mâché. <laughs> just to wrap things up, I'm interested to know, what is your kind of residing memory of working on this production? What's the first thing your, your brain goes to when you, when you think back? Is there a particular thing or just a kind of general sense? It's funny the things that come back to me one of the searing memories of the production was the very very last moment of the very last night where we did a curtain call of the whole of side by side again (laughs) and at the very very Uh. last moment before the lights went out for the very last time on the very last night on the final note adrian lester did a backflip you did not see that coming. Did I do a backflip? I don't think I did a backflip. Did, did I do a backflip? It was spectacular. And it was like a sort of, it was like a final firework bursting into the sky before <laughs> literally the lights went out. And the other thing I remember, I won't get to, so I won't go on too much, but I also had one of the, one of the great and worst moments of the entire run happened within 20 minutes of each other, the, the most wonderful moment, which is always in any musical, anybody who's done a musical will know that when you first hear the band for the first time, mm. it's always a moment that is spine tingling because you've been doing all the rehearsals with the pianist and then yeah, suddenly the this program, group of strangers yeah. arrive with all these instruments <laughs> and you all sit and suddenly they, for the first time, they break into the, into the what's going to be the finished sound and it's always spine tingling for the cast mm. to hear. And we had this, we did the first... We did the first half of the rehearsal with the orchestra in this little room at the bottom of the American church in Tottenham Court Road, a little basement room with windows giving out up onto a, the main side street at the back of the, of the American church. We all felt that we were onto something special. 
And then the band sort of confirmed that it, this was going mm. to be rather wonderful. And we all went out into the main hall and had a fantastic cup of tea and everybody was so excited and thrilled and happy. And we came back in at the end of this rehearsal and somebody had come in down through the windows from the side street and swiped all the instruments. Oh, God. It was awful. People like who years are, you know, really, really sentimental and valuable instruments and livelihood. Awful. They're tools of work. Oh, that's heartbreaking. It was just the most extraordinary juxtaposition. It was like hitting a springboard and going into the air and then suddenly finding something squashed you like that. There were band members in tears because they didn't know how they were going to replace these precious instruments that were their livelihood. It's the sentimental value and, and they're often irreplaceable, aren't they? I asked the same thing to Sophie. What's your kind of residing memory of of that time and that production and working with Sam Mendes and Mike and Adrian and all that all that gang? Is there is there anything that sticks out in your mind as the kind of as your enduring kind of memory of that time? It was a really special company <laughs> mm. and I feel just so fortunate that I had that experience because those are the ones that are like wonderful bits of your landscape and to have that and just talking to you today, you reminding me of things has been so lovely. I think, oh golly, to have had that experience with that group of people at that time with that material and for it to have kind of worked in that curious alchemy that it is in the theatre no one understands thankfully um that's that's something to cherish absolutely and mm. just keep in, in in your pocket um forever really so i'll always have such a profound fondness for for that show that's beautifully uh, put and I, I wholeheartedly second that for me I think uh, a myriad of memories I, I could uh, actually I was at that age where you do really remember <laughs> things so vividly but um, just knowing and looking back knowing that it was such a special piece and that people thought it was special mm. and that people loved it and that through the eyes of the audience it was loved and it, people found it so special. And knowing that we were part of that, that's something that I, I take away and hold very, very dear. You know, most actors never have, the, just by its rarity, it's a very rare thing to be in the hottest ticket in town. It, there's nothing like being in the hottest ticket in town. And if you're in the hottest ticket in town and you're with a wonderful group of people where there's not one bad egg between them, and if you're in the hottest ticket in town and there's not one bag egg between them and it's a musical. And if that musical has music and lyrics by Sondheim and Firth and is a profound study of humankind as well as being an extraordinary piece of musical creation. And then you add on to that winter at the Donmar Warehouse with Christmas and crowds queuing down the street to get in on the hope of getting return tickets for the Saturday night performance. You, you've got something terribly special. It's like, in some ways, it's like one's dream of what show business must be like. And and we, we had that for 24, 25 weeks. That, that's why I love it. Wonderful. Adrian? 
I can't top a, a, anything that everybody said. There, there is a feeling that um, that I admire Mike and I admire Anna and everybody in this cast. And sometimes you can't say that with productions that you're in. Um, and I know that sometimes when I go to the theatre, you, you pay your money and you take the gamble if it's going to be interesting, good, mm. earth-shattering, terrible, or all of those things or not. And I remember being feeling so lucky that I was getting the chance to play this part in that theatre with this cast, with that musical director, with that choreographer, with um, with that director, and and that we come out on stage at night. And sometimes I just I just enjoyed looking out at the, into the audience and that reaction they gave when we did something. And I just thought I'm so lucky. Every single reason every little pipe dream that got me through youth theater got me through drama school and got me chasing my equity card and chasing an agent and sitting through those times of being unemployed every single moment that i i thought you know i'm doing it for a reason that reason was in this show and i just thought this is why i i'm i love doing this job it's because of being able to step out on stage in productions like this and it's it's when like people say when they win an Oscar or they win you know BAFTA or something, they spend so long trying to get back to, <laughs> to a, a sort of production that um, that they they were in when they when they won that award. And um, for me, uh, that that production of Company was one of those high points that I spend every time I walk into a rehearsal room on the first day. I think. Is this going to be like company? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder. Is it going to be? Is it going to have that thing? And I just hope that it's going to have that thing, and because it's it is it has become in my career the benchmark to measure all other jobs by. That's an amazing tribute, especially given <laughs> the career that you've had. Um, <laughs> well, thank you all so much. It's been an absolute treat uh, chatting to all of you, and uh, I am just so chuffed you all spared the time and shared so freely and it's been really a privilege to watch you all chat and, and see you guys reconnecting and remembering the things that you shared <laughs> nearly 25 years ago um so <coughs> so huge thanks to my guests uh, to anna francolini adrian lester michael simpkins and sophie thompson this has been piece by piece listening to piece by piece we would love to hear what you think about the show don't forget you can email us piece by piece talk show at gmail.com or you can find us on twitter and instagram at pvp underscore podcast or on facebook at piece by piece podcast piece by piece company was recorded and edited by joe and nikki davison for auburn jam music our guests were anna francolini adrian lester michael simpkins and sophie thompson our theme music is by ben cox and our production assistant is olivia dowden piece by piece is devised and presented by joe bunker and produced by pint of wine Thank you for listening to Piece by Piece. Do join us again.